Hi guys, Tina Anderson with your 54th episode of Get Fit, Stay Healthy. I had mentioned in the last show that I was going to tackle nutrition and I found a major nutritionist, the one I had hoped to talk to and she agreed to it. She's so busy. Her resume and her credentials are amazing. So it was really an honor to speak with her. Her name is Leslie Bonsi and she's got like MPH, RD, CSSD, LDN, and all these credentials behind her name. She's the Director of Sports Nutrition at the UPMC Center for Sports Medicine. Uh, She's been on tons of TV shows. She's an expert on sports nutrition, weight management, digestive health, interviewed all the time, a spokesperson for the American Dietetic Association, writes blogs for Runner's World Magazine. She's been on Fitness Magazine. Get this. This is what I love. She's a nutrition consultant, for the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Pittsburgh Pirates, guess who her favorite teams are, the Milwaukee Brewers, and the National uh, Collegiate Athletic Association, tons of others, tons of Pittsburgh athletes, um, ballet theater. She was a member of the U.S. Olympic Committee Sports Nutrition Network. I mean, I could just go on and on and on. She's got books out. Anyway, so we are in good hands with Leslie. I uh, focused on an area that I really haven't touched on, and that's endurance. And the reason that I haven't touched on endurance, there's a good reason, and I'll be completely 100% honest with you, and that is because I'm not an endurance person. I, I don't dig it that much because my body breaks down too easy, but I understand how you get addicted to it. So I, I know I got to tackle it. So I did focus on that, but we did hit some other really important areas. So I hope you stick with the whole interview because there's little tidbits that she throws in that are little gems and really good uh, analogies that she uses. She's got a great personality. I think I've talked about her enough. You want to hear from Leslie. So here's the interview that we did on Skype from back east where it was cold in the tundra, unfortunately, for Leslie right before the Super Bowl. Uh, Leslie, thank you so much for joining me from the cold tundra back east. I want to start off by talking about endurance events, and then we'll get into general workouts. First of all, we're going to talk about, you know, pre-fueling your body during it and post, but what qualifies as, quote, endurance training or an endurance event? Well, when we're looking at endurance training or endurance events, we're really looking at something that is lasting in duration of one hour and probably lasting in duration of two hours. And so in order to do that kind of an event, you're going to be doing a lot of endurance training. And honestly, that's where the fueling makes the bigger difference. It's not so much the issue of what happens on the day of, it's what you've done in all the days leading up to. And so that gives you a chance to train your guts It also gives you a chance to find what's comfortable and what isn't and the right amount. And all of that takes as much work as the physical activity that you do. So are you saying that if someone's working on, let's say, doing a half marathon, that they they have to look at their nutrition and how that works from the very beginning as so they, they can kind of taper things and add things in? So for the event day itself, they've adjusted during that training period? Yes, because what happens is that if somebody's training for a half marathon, for instance, is you know they're they're not going to start out running 13.1 if they've never done it. Maybe somebody's starting out at two miles. Maybe somebody's starting out at four miles. But 
hopefully they get to the point where they're actually running close to 13.1 before they do the event. And so as we make the changes in increasing the mileage, then we have to adjust a little bit on the other side in terms of making sure that our intake is appropriate. Otherwise, the body depletes itself, and then you're not going to have the energy to do the race. Now, that doesn't mean that sometimes people don't overconsume because they do, but it's really it's a process. It's a gradual process, and it has to be adjusted as the distance increases. Okay, so what is the body going through, and what does it need as you work through pre and or endurance training for the for the event? Well, I mean, what we're looking at is with endurance types of activity, there are basically two sources of fuel that are being used for the body during that exercise. One is the carbohydrate that is stored in three places. It's the carbohydrate within the bloodstream, it's the carbohydrate within the liver, it's the carbohydrate within the muscles. And if we're looking at marathoning, for instance, or half marathon, where do you deplete it from first? Well, your legs, because that's what you're running on. And then you have some carbohydrate available in both your liver and in your bloodstream, but it's not endless supply. So we have to make sure we have enough carbohydrate. However, one of the other things about doing endurance training is when you do something that's not a maximum sprint, which nobody does over half marathon distance, then you also need to make sure that you have enough fat available as an energy source. And that's always such a bad word for people. I don't want to have the fat. But the fact of the matter is that that fat especially the fat that's in the middle of the muscles, is really serving a very, very important purpose, and that purpose is to provide the body with some extra fuel over the distance so the body doesn't have to deplete its carbohydrate stores quite as quickly. So the end result of all of this is that we have to make sure in our eating that we are incorporating enough foods that contain carbohydrate as well as fat, and then we also have to make sure we're doing what we need to on the back end to recover. When someone's in a race or they're working, let's say, towards this, is there a signal? I know, obviously, like hitting the wall or, you know, the lactic acid, but is there anything that you hear from clients where you absolutely know, okay, the nutrition has to be tweaked based on what you're telling me that happened? Yeah, and and unfortunately, typically, by the time people experience fatigue, it's too late. I mean, it it really, you know at that point that you're not going to have the most fabulous outcome. You're just finishing based on sheer will because your body already is fatigued. And that's why I like people to be a little bit more proactive rather than being lax about what it is that they do. And that is why we always talk about the general rule of thumb is if you are fueled before you start, and then secondly, that after the first hour, you plan on putting a little bit of carbohydrate in. That doesn't mean a trough, but it means an appropriate amount so that you don't get to the point where the body literally hits the wall. Okay, and you know what, it reminds me of, and this is kind of a strange time to bring it up with Lance Armstrong's situation, but I do remember stories about Tour de France where they talked about them carrying Pop-Tarts and all kinds of stuff with them. Um, Is that Does that happen? Like it's a straight sugar that someone would actually put in if they were doing some extreme endurance race like that? Or is that, did I, was it something else they were lying about? (laughs) You know what? No, I mean, it it really is at that point. And, you know, this is where people kind of have to balance it out. Because when people say, oh, sugar, you know, is such a, a terrible thing. And, you know, we're not talking about mainlining sucrose at this point. On the other hand, is you know that is not the time to be grabbing raisin bran in the middle of an event. The goal of what it is you do during is to provide an energy source as quickly as we can to those exercises.
exercising muscles, and that's why sometimes people opt for things like the goos or the gels or the chops or the chews, any of those types of things, or even a little bit more simpler, but same effect, uh, sometimes people are using honey sticks or the honey stingers or even things like sugar cubes because they work very, very well. There are some endurance athletes who use a, a defizzed soda. Uh, or sports drinks, because all of these will provide the goal of getting some energy into the body quickly in the form of something that digests so that we can tap into that as an energy source to be able to finish strong. Got it. The article that I uh, read when I originally uh, came across uh, your writing was the NASM.org, and I love that you mentioned carb exploding versus carb loading. <laughs> Explain what that was, what you were talking about. Yeah, well, you know, this, this is what happens. Is some of my people get all excited about uh, doing distance, and then it becomes the license for, oh, bring on the trough of pasta, bring on the bagel that looks like an SUV tire, you know, bring on the entire <laughs> box of scones and we can't do that because the fact of the matter is is you don't burn that many calories you know not to be the uh, the bearer of bad news here but when people run a mile and we were talking about maximum 100 calorie energy expenditure so even if somebody's training for a half and you run 10 that's 1,000 calories that's not 1 million calories so you don't get bonus points for you know trying to consume so much carbohydrate that you're waddling you have to pick the right amount otherwise you end up with more of you. So when you talk about carbohydrates, are you talking about, you know, your brown rice and your grains and if they're going to do pasta, whatever, whole wheat pasta and the vegetables and all that, is that the basic? Yeah, and certainly there are many things that are in the realm of carbohydrates from fruits, vegetables, looking at grains, looking at some dairy foods, and even looking at sweet items. And so sometimes people, you know, get this fixation to say, I can't have any. Well, that certainly doesn't make somebody a great endurance athlete. So I think that the term selective is a very appropriate guideline to use in terms of carbohydrates, because the reality is that there are times when those more simple carbohydrates, looking at something like honey or even sugar in a certain form may be advantageous, especially during activity where we really don't have a lot of time to get the fuel in as quickly as we can. On the other hand, I would never make a recommendation that somebody sit down to a meal of goo or chomps. I mean, how awful would that be? I'm like, yuck. So, you know, it really is kind of balancing it out and in general looking for those things that are the the healthy, uh, nutritionally rich carbs as much as we can, but realizing that sometimes we have to tweak that formula depending upon the occasion. For instance, the night before someone's going to do a big race and they've been pretty much doing pretty good with their, you know, their nutrition, um, we're not going to necessarily carb load, maybe do, are you talking about maybe one extra serving of, you know, a straight carb or something with sugar in it? Is that, does that make more sense? What I usually like to see happen is for endurance events, I really like people to think about what they're doing three days out. And the reason for that is that three days out, people really aren't thinking about their event. They're really not nervous. They're just, you know, able to eat a little bit more. And so one additional serving of a carb-containing food as part of every meal, which could be as simple as a piece of fruit or a small, meaning six-ounce glass of juice, or an additional half a cup of cereal or pasta or rice or one slice of bread, you know, not, oh, we have to add in a huge bagel. It's not that. It's a little bit of something and a little bit more fluid with it. Now we're two for two. 
we have a little bit extra fuel, we have a little bit extra fluid, and then we don't really have to worry about having more even the night before. Because if people put more in, they may not sleep well, and we want to optimize that sleep the night before a race. Wow, because that, that's a pretty small extra amount. I bet most people do double or triple that a piece of bread oh, or a half a cup yeah i mean i'm telling you it's like a trough of pasta the night before <laughs> i don't think so no wonder you're waddling the neck everybody's passing <laughs> you by <laughs> that, that's quite a distinction you mentioned the hydration let's talk about that because i know that's a big deal first of all let me just ask you this in general i have been i've read i have seen so many times that you're supposed to try to get in about half your body weight in ounces is that crazy because if you're 260 pounds or like you're pro athletes uh, versus someone who weighs 120 pounds that's a lot more water to ask someone to yeah, drink no, no they would drown and actually what the recommendations are with the institutes of medicine guideline what we're looking for is uh, for women it is 70 to 90 ounces of liquid a day which is you know roughly we're looking at 9 to 11 8 ounce cups of fluid and for men it's 100 to 125 ounces of liquid a day or roughly 14 to 16 eight ounce cups of liquid and the reason the range of the numbers is if somebody is very good about their fruit and vegetable intake all fruits and vegetables are 85 percent water so then you don't have to have as much liquid because you're getting in that liquid in a food form as well and also that you know I, i'm saying fluid and not just saying water because everything uh, with the exception of alcohol is part of that liquid intake for the day so it could be in a bowl because somebody has soup or it could be because somebody is having uh, uh, a fruit juice or because they're having milk or because they're having coffee or tea. They all count. If you eat a salad, I mean, that's a very liquidy thing. You know when you, when you chew the lettuce, it tastes kind of watery in your mouth. And just simply because not everybody is a huge water drinker and not everybody really drinks that much. And this is the other thing. We look at those guidelines, and then the, the second sentence to that would be, if you don't do that currently, please don't do it tomorrow. You mm. have to do it gradually because otherwise it's just it's too overwhelming to the body and then we don't want to practice those behaviors anymore. Hmm, that's that's a good point. What about someone for instance in my spin class that obviously sweats double someone next to them both working out really hard. Does that change the amount of water they should be looking at or hydration? And it's an excellent question. Baseline, it would stay the same. So where would the differences be? Well, the other thing that we think about is that we think about what somebody should be doing with their liquid intake prior to activity. So the numbers that I gave you were baseline numbers, and then we add to that 20 ounces of fluid about an hour before exercise, and then it, the amount of liquid that somebody needs when they exercise is dependent upon their sweat rate, and the amount that they need to replace post-exercise is dependent upon their losses. So there's one standard for everybody, which is you know their baseline needs, but then the other variables are what really do change dramatically depending upon that individual. And would someone know they're just kind of getting dehydrated if they their workouts are are lagging a little bit or they just they lack luster i know that a little bit of dehydration apparently or supposedly can really affect your body in really drastic ways it can and you know and we're really looking at about 2% dehydration, which most people probably wouldn't know. We're not talking about to the point where eyes are sunken in the back of head, but, you know, the little things about not being optimally hydrated, potentially a 6 to 8% decrease in strength, in speed, 
in stamina in recovery. Those are big numbers. Wow. And if somebody says, I do that every single day, and if they're exercising every single day, you know, by the end of the week, they're not feeling all too fabulous, and it's such an easy thing to correct. Wow, that is, that's dramatic, especially if you're competing. Exactly. I mean, that's why, I'm, I'm sure, because I know you work with the, with the professional athletes, that's huge if you're, you're be, getting paid to win and your dehydration levels could obviously really affect your performance. That's pretty dramatic. I didn't realize well, that. Right, and it's not only the effect of the physical outcomes, which obviously are, are important, but you know, it's the mental outcome. And you know, I don't just work with professional athletes, and I, you know, I work with collegiate athletes, which means they have to be able to function in the classroom, or high school athletes, or all the rest of us that might have to function in our workspace. It makes a very, very big difference. You brought something up that I want to go back to real quick, and that is people overestimate the amount of calorie burn they get if they do a long, let's say, distance run or something like that. And you had mentioned something that there's really not as big of a calorie burn as one might think with endurance training. Uh, Do you find that people just don't know that and just think if I run for three hours, I'm, wow, I've burned a zillion calories, I can just eat what I want? Oh, absolutely. And granted, there are some people who significantly undercut uh, their calories, and that's not a good thing either. But for the most part, yes, it's kind of the assumption, well, you know, I sweated, therefore I'm entitled. And it just doesn't always work that way because the calorie cost of, of the activity is not that great, number one. And number two, it's really easy to overconsume on the back end. And, you know, th- this is for the entire day. I mean, we look at what somebody might need as their baseline level of calories, and you know, we can do very, very specific uh, equations to figure that out, or we could go a little bit more basic and say that uh, at a minimum, it is probably body weight times 13, the number of calories somebody needs per day for light activity, just you know, the functioning, the things that we need to do. And then we would add in the calorie cost of exercise. And so then if somebody's going to be exercising, well, you know, what do they usually eat during the day? And what do they eat when they're exercising? And what do they eat when they're done? Because that's lots of occasions to be putting food into one's mouth. Mm, wow. Okay, so someone is going to go on their endurance, uh, their event or their run. They could take the gels. They could take the sports drinks. They can, uh, most of those, or some of those, I should say, do include some protein. What about protein in this equation? What's the impact and the importance of, of protein? Well, the primary role of protein is going to be for muscle resynthesis or rebuild post-activity, not during. Uh, For the most part, having protein during is not always best for the body because it does take a little bit longer to digest, and, and for some people, it causes significant digestive distress. But, you know, on the back end, there's absolutely no doubt. So being selective, we've kind of got one shot to get it right. So if, you know, I always talk to my athletes about the fact that during exercise, you know, you are, are getting dented and broken down. You've got to go to the body shop to uh, get cleaned up and pretty when <laughs> you're done. And that's when we talk about putting the carbohydrate and the protein in together. I know that after I've heard you have a window of, I don't know, is it an hour or 30 minutes to really replenish? Is that generally the same for everyone after a hard workout, let's say especially endurance? Yes, it really is. And I mean, the goal is is sooner than later is the longer one waits, the longer it takes to recover. And, you know, ideally, we'd like it to be within the first 30 minutes. But, you know, the rule here is 
within 30 minutes we're talking about a snack. It's not necessarily a meal, but it is important to try and get something in to start that recovery process so we're not waiting. We want to take advantage of that anabolic window post-exercise in order to help the body rebuild from the exercise it did. Okay, so that could be a protein shake, but not a big one. It could be, I know chocolate milk is usually one that I hear quite a bit, Um, something that's got some protein in it and some carbs, but probably the protein would be maybe a little bit more of a consideration. Is that true or not? What we talk about is after an endurance exercise, we're looking at about a four to one ratio of carbohydrate to protein. But, But we always talk about the amount of protein is somewhere around 20 grams. You don't get bonus points for any more than that. So if it's four to one, we're talking roughly 80 grams of of carbohydrates to 20 grams of protein. That is not an enormous amount of food by any means. And when it's after strength training, it's a two to one ratio of carbohydrate to protein or basically 40 to 20. So if somebody says, oh, you know, I'm going to go and order a milkshake the size of my head. I don't think so. That's (laughs) not what we're talking about. (laughs) I love your analogies. They're uh, really good. In in the same article that I read uh, from you, you mentioned ginger for uh, post-event recovery. Yes, and it, the, the benefit of ginger is that it functions as an anti-inflammatory. So, you know, why not value added is if we're going to try and help the body recover after exercise and we incorporate some things in that might also have an anti-inflammatory benefit. So ginger works, tart cherry juice is another one that works in that regard of helping from an anti-inflammatory perspective, even green tea. So one of the things that we do with our with the some of my athletes that I work with is we'll make these performance shots. You know, they're not jello shots with alcohol, but <laughs> actually that incorporates some tart cherry. We do ginger. We'll put some green tea in there. Sometimes it's some blended pineapple. Is really looking at things that have an effect. And, you know, a lot of times after endurance activity, there is a great deal of ache and pain that goes along with that. And ginger has an effect in terms of preventing some of that delayed onset muscle soreness. So you can actually walk down your stairs normally the next day. Yeah. It is, you know, we've all been there where we, yeah, where we can't. Uh, Now, before I move on from this, I do want to ask you something that I get asked all the time, and that is the amount of protein Uh, the grams per, let's say, a protein per pound of body weight, because I know bodybuilders are oftentimes, and they write about this a lot, you see um, a higher number. Uh, For men and women, endurance in general, their range on the grams of protein also per pound of body weight. Yes. I mean, what we're really looking at is, number one, is a minimum of a half a gram of protein per pound body weight. And then Uh, On top of that, if somebody is going to be doing endurance training, we might go anywhere between 0.6 to 0.7 grams per pound. And for somebody who is strength training or those trying to increase muscle mass, somewhere between 0.8 to 0.9 grams of protein per pound at an absolute maximum Upper limit, it is one gram per pound body weight. Absolute max. Okay, that's really good to know because I, I've, I know people go over that. And I know they... Right, and more is not better, which you end up as more of you and something wiggling. You know, that's not necessarily a good thing. Yeah, no, that's not what we're looking for. Okay, well, I wanted to clarify that because I think it's really important. The, the amount of water, the amount of protein, I think both of those things. Now, I'm sure you found, and we're going to 
just in general here, talk just for a second in general, that when it comes to the breakdown of protein and fat and and carbs, which is such a hot button with all the diets and everything, I'm sure you found that there's there are ranges. And then I'm guessing that based on just the person, their body, how it reacts, what they do, that they start to see or you start to see a pattern of what really works better. And my question for you then is, um, is it fair to say to people as a trainer in this business, it's like you really got to take control of this yourself and see how your body reacts and tweak it more so than find my friend did this and he lost weight or my, you know, she does this. And is it that individualized or, you know, can we kind of put it back on the person and say, you need to pay more attention or are there more standards that you see we could kind of fall into that makes sense? No, I think it is absolutely imperative that people experiment to figure out what works for them because for one individual, 60% carbohydrate intake per day might be what they need, and somebody else does absolutely fine with 50% carbohydrate per day. You know, I don't tend to mess around as much with the protein. I want to make sure that people have enough. However, if people are during times of injury or if they're trying to lose weight, they may need a little bit more protein so that they can maintain that lean mass and the amount of fat we need to play around with as well to find out what works. So, you know, the goal is never how low can you go, but that you might need to tweak it and that you might need to change it around depending upon where you are in your training cycle. And the other thing that happens too is that at the end of the day, an eating plan is only going to be beneficial if, number one, you can maintain it, and number two, it gives you the energy to get through your workout. I mean, sure, people can cut their carbs and, you know, they're falling off the treadmill. Well, that really isn't an advantage. What about stress? If someone has a very stressful job, and I'm talking, people are, oh, I'm under stress, I'm stressful. I get that. But some people, you know, literally when they go to work are, are under enormous amounts of unhealthy stress. Does that deplete your system of your nutrients and enzymes and everything? I mean, do you need to be more, you know, vigilant about what you do if you really, truly are in that category of, of a high-stress situation? Yes, primarily the impact of stress is on the micronutrients or the vitamins and minerals. And the solution here is not just, hey, I got it under control, I'm taking a stress tab. You know, I wish it was that easy, but it really isn't. And sometimes, too, in response to the stress is, you know, people are so worked up about whatever that you know, their, their good eating habits tend to go by the wayside. And the fact of the matter is, is the better nourished you are, the better your body responds to the stress that you have. And so it is really important as kind of that, you know, not just a, a, a pill, a, you know, a chill pill, but an eating plan that helps you to combat the stress a little bit better is, okay, you know, I'm going to do a better job about maybe bringing some fruit to work or making a smoothie or maybe I'll have some vegetables during the day. It's just trying to incorporate those good foods that are chock full of the vitamins and minerals so we have less depletion on the other side. All right. Uh, I want to just touch now a little bit on the average well, fitness class, the cardio resistance stuff. If they just do follow a general nutrition plan, they're, they're not in need of like Gatorade drink during the workout or, or extra whatever, are they? Yeah. I mean, when we're looking at 
somebody who's doing workouts and maybe kind of like a maximum of an hour a day during their workout, they're going to be fine with water. That's going to be fine for them. And what I really like to do is, so we don't necessarily incur a bigger calorie load, is let's say, for instance, if somebody's going to work out in the morning, then maybe what they'll do is split their breakfast. So they'll have half before, half after, or a midday workout. Okay, I'll have half my lunch before, half after, or an evening workout. Well, maybe I'm having half my dinner before, half after, so then we're not necessarily ingesting more calories. We're keeping it under control and keeping it in balance for the energy expenditure that we have. I think if somebody says, though, that they're, you know, they're, they're not a huge water fan and they're looking at some way of making sure that they're hydrated, then going with something that is low sugar will at least give them the taste that they want, but without... The the additional calories that are there, and that is absolutely fine. The, I don't know, the biggest mistakes or a mistake or a pattern, is there anything that comes up that you can, that you've seen in all your years of practice? Yes, and I mean, one of the things that comes up is people are trying to multitask. Hey, I'm training, and at the same time, I want to lose 20 pounds. Therefore, I've just burned these calories working out, so I'm not going to eat anything afterwards. And then what ends up happening, they're shoving in a cheesecake later in the day. I mean, that does happen is, you know, you can't do either or. If you're going to work out, you've got to make sure that at least you replete from what it is that you did. You know, this whole idea of, or I'll work out on empty. Well, the studies that have looked at that is you might burn slightly more fat, but the fat that you're burning is the fat from the middle of the muscle. That's really not the fat we want to get oh. rid of. We see that as an energy source. It's not the fat right under the skin. So that doesn't tend to work all that well. Or, you know, the other thing that people will do is, you know, this idea of certain things are good and certain things are bad. So I'll just cut out the carbs or I won't eat any fat at all. And, and that will be the rate limiting step in being able to force your workouts more or even in, in terms of being able to change your body composition the way you want to. You know, this is not... The body is not uh, evolved enough to say, well, we'll just run on protein alone. It doesn't work that way. Or I'll just do carbs or well, I'll just sit down to a jar of mayonnaise. Nobody's <laughs> going to do that either. <laughs> right. You know, absolutely. And the good news is, is it's not permanent. Our bodies are really pretty darn strong and they're able to take some abuse, although it doesn't make them happy. And I think more, it's a more psychological issue than anything else. And so if we kind of go more along the lines of nourishing, of listening to the body, of gauging how it is that we feel, and then it's slight tweaking what we do. We're not talking about dramatic overhaul, but slight tweaking on the eating end because we have to be detectives. And try out different things and find out what works and what doesn't. I really like the idea of creating a performance plate. So to me, and this depends upon the goals and where people are with the training and what they're trying to accomplish, but you know that performance plate is going to include something on that plate as a protein source. I mean, whatever that might be. If somebody says, I'll do something that has a face, or, you know, I only eat a plant-based protein, it's really up to them. But it's at least one-third of the plate. I want one-third of the plate to be a grain, and sometimes I might make it a little bit less than that, but I don't want it off the plate. And so somebody might say, I'm doing a whole wheat tortilla. Somebody else might say, I'm doing a brown rice. Somebody else might say, well, you know, my choice is I want to have some cereal on the plate, and then the remainder of the plate is going to be something with color that's not a gummy bear or a Fruit Loop. Yeah. So, so that leaves us a lot of alternatives of how we do it. But if somebody says, that's my template, I can deal with that every day, and I'm going to have a little bit of fat as part of every 
single meal, you know, that opens us up to many choices. So for those who are gluten-free, they have options. For those that are vegetarian, they have options. And it's so much easier to follow that because you can take that on the road and you actually get the benefit you want for the physical activity you do because you're nourished. I want to wrap this up with um, one question that is not necessarily just kind of performance oriented, but if it could be put into words, if someone is, let's say, has like a, either a Big Mac and fries and a Coke, or someone else, like you said, has has a binge on cheesecake, is there any way to kind of describe what they're doing to the insides or what their body's trying to do to recover from that? So maybe someone hearing this would have a better idea of the attack or the inflammation, what you're doing when, when you go to that really bad place with your nutrition? Well, one of the things that we know is that when people are physically active, you do put a stress on your body. That's not necessarily bad, but it is a stress. And so the roles of, of eating are not just to provide the fuel to allow somebody to be able to work out well, but to also keep the body in a state of balance and to de-stress the body and to create an inflammatory an anti-inflammatory environment and that's why the food choices are so critically important so we know that there are not only some things that are anti-inflammatory in foods but also some things that are pro-inflammatory in other words contribute to inflammation and the items that tend to do that are items that are very high in saturated fat so for instance if somebody has a fatty burger, uh, if somebody's eating a lot of ice cream, uh, if somebody's eating the skin on their chicken, uh, eating a lot of sugar. So, you know, we're not talking about the occasional sports drinker goo, but we're talking about daily ingestion of carbonated beverages and perhaps a lot of dessert items. Then we're actually creating more inflammation in the body, and then it gets harder for the body to counteract that. And the solution is not, hey, let me have my Big Big Mac with a spinach salad, it is to say, could we perhaps limit some of those items that are inflammation producing and can we increase those items that actually have an impact on decreasing the inflammation. So putting those foods with color on the plate, using some olive oil, incorporating some nuts and seeds, putting some whole grains into every meal, thinking about an unsweetened green tea as a beverage as opposed to using a sweetened carbonated beverage. We don't have to do all of that at once, but if we start to work towards that, then we have a body that is functioning well from the inside to allow it to function well physically too. Okay. All right. So you guys have heard that, and I think we all know that. Do you think there's a recovery period if you had a really bad day of fast food or whatever? Do you think within 24 hours you've sort of, your body's been able to flush out some of that, or do you think it lasts it's the impact is longer well I mean one of the things about eating some pretty heavy-duty items and those items that are very high in fat you feel it for a longer period of time because it takes longer for your body to digest those items and process them through and that doesn't mean that we've totally undone all the good but I think the more important thing is if somebody says oh god I had an indulgence is to kind of figure out a way how you're going to get back on track not well you know I already blew it therefore I might as well keep eating right that's right. what people do they and do. that is more of the problem right I totally understand someone who cramps a lot uh, one of my neighbors actually who runs um, and tries to do half marathons she's starting to cramp a lot and I didn't know if it was maybe sodium or or dehydration um, I don't think she sweat she's a real big sweater though but uh, do you do you think it could be sodium and should we just mention that real quickly as far as uh, that issue with uh, with endurance since we're kind of talking about that today 
Yes, and I mean certainly, you know, one of the rate limiting steps, literally in uh, in distance activities, is when you have muscle cramps, because then you're pretty much done. And one of the things about them is that they can occur if somebody is consuming enough fluid, or not enough fluid, or too much fluid. So yes, for sure, you've got to make sure that you're getting in enough liquid. The second part of that is though that sodium is critically important, and some people can be fairly light sweaters, but very salty sweaters, and so. So the rule of thumb in general, if somebody is, if their sweat stings their eyes or if their sweat tastes very salty in their mouth or sometimes people notice when they're done exercising, if they wear a cap, they'll see salt inside the visor or feel the grit on their skin or see it on their clothes, that's salt. And if that describes us, then we really have to be more vigilant about increasing our sodium intake, not through Cheetos, but, you know, because you actually can add some salt to your sports drink or some people actually will chew on like a sea salt during that will give them more salt or even pickles, soy sauce, cooking rice and broth. There's a lot of things that we can do that don't add a lot of calories, but do ensure that somebody's getting their sodium needs met because for people who are salty sweaters and depending upon the sport, there are some individuals that can lose up to two and a half teaspoons of salt in about a physical activity. That's a lot of sodium loss and there's no way that you can take in that much during. It's just uncomfortable and that's why we have to be proactive about mm, it. That is fascinating because I'm one of those. My eyes sting like crazy if I get I'm in the my, same way. yeah, my caps, <laughs> if I wear a cap, there's a ring. So um, I'm, I, that's a, that's fascinating. I didn't know that and now I know that I'm a, I'm a salty sweater. <laughs> Uh, I'm in that category. Okay, well, Leslie, glad you're out there doing the good work. Well, thank you very, very much. And, you know, the fact of the matter is that as much as people exercise is we usually eat more times a day than we exercise. So I think it's definitely important that we pay attention to what's going in. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Safe travels out there, Leslie. Okay? Hey, thanks. All right. Thank you. I will have my own version of March Madness next month. And in case you're wondering what I'm talking about, it's a collegiate basketball connection. Look it up, March Madness. I'd love to go to one at one point. Subscribe, catch me on social media. And at the very least, hello, connect with me at my online home, tinaandersonoc.com. That's two A's, Tina Anderson, S-O-N. So it's Anderson with an O-N, OC.com for mega good stuff. I'm going to be uh, giving some stuff away. I'm doing some reviews. Um, I've got news on my special package and so much more. Until then, make good choices. Set appropriate boundaries. Spread some good vibrations in the world. This one's really important. Find something to laugh about every day, even a chuckle, a smile. And please, 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 this is the most critical one. Please, please, I'm on my knees, I'm begging. Manage your stress before it manages you. It's a killer. Talk to me at TinaAndersonOC.com. I'll be waiting. This is Tina Anderson with Get Fit, Stay Healthy. As always, asking you to do the same.